The scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we are continuing in a series of sermons looking at the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness after his baptism in the Jordan River. Last week we looked at the temptation to satisfy our hunger. This week, we look at the temptation to eliminate all of our doubts by putting God to the test. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. One of the most famous atheists of the 20th century was Bertrand Russell. When he was 90 years old, he had a famous encounter with a woman at a party. The woman said to him, Mr. Russell, you are not only the world's most famous atheist, but you are also maybe the world's oldest atheist. You will die soon. What will you do if, after you die, it turns out that God exists? What will you do if you come face to face with this God that you have defied your whole life long? Bertrand Russell responded that he would point his finger at God and say, You, sir, gave us insufficient evidence. Now, I suspect that most of us here today are not struggling too desperately with the existence of God. You probably would not be here if that were the case. But haven't we all struggled at times to believe that God is truly with us and is actively involved in our lives? Haven't we all wondered at times if God truly cares about us and has an intimate concern for our well-being? And haven't we occasionally all thought how wonderful it would be if we could just have a little proof about all this? That if God could, could give us some irrefutable proof, something that not even Bertrand Russell could deny, that God is truly with us, that God has a plan for our lives and eternal life 
for our inheritance. It would be nice if God could remove all of our doubt. But I certainly think it would be nice once in a while to have some confirmation that God is here with me and that I'm doing the right thing or believing the right thing or preaching the right thing. An occasional visit from an angel would do. Or maybe the fingers of a hand writing on the wall the answer to a prayer. Or a, a voice from heaven telling me what I'm supposed to do. Or, or even just one bona fide miracle. I mean, any miracle at all would do. I'll even settle for a burning bush. Just some assurance that, that, that God is, is with me and, and has his hand on my life and is guiding me along the way. It would just be so nice sometimes to have a little proof. You know, something that would chase away all of my doubts. This issue of doubt and proof is, I believe, at least part of what is behind the devil's second temptation of Jesus in our text this morning. After Jesus resisted the temptation to use his power to satisfy his own hunger, demonstrating his faith in God and his trust in God's word, both the word spoken to him at his baptism and the word of God written in the scriptures, Satan tells Jesus to put his money where his mouth is. So he takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem overlooking the 450-foot drop into the Kidron Valley. And Satan says to him, If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Come on, Jesus, you do trust God, don't you? I mean, surely God would not let anything happen to you. You are his beloved son, after all. And you claim that you live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, here it is, right from Psalm 91, God's very word. Just take a leap of faith, and God's angels will surely catch you. I mean, then all the people will know for sure that you are the Messiah. And you will know for sure that you are the beloved and God is with you. It's the only way you can be certain. For as the old saying goes, the proof is in the pudding. Actually, the original saying is, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. The only way to know for sure if the pudding is any good is to taste it to put it to the test. It's the scientific way. You've got to subject any belief to, to rigorous testing to determine its validity. It's the only way you will ever be sure if what you believe is true. Otherwise, you will always have your doubts. But in response to Satan's temptation. Jesus says again, it is written, do not 
put the Lord your God to the test. Now Jesus is once again quoting here from the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses warns the Israelites, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. Now, Massah was that place where the Israelites complained against God in the wilderness when they became thirsty. Now remember, the people had just witnessed God send ten terrible plagues upon the Egyptians in order to set them free. Then God led the people into the wilderness after parting the waters of the Red Sea for them and destroying Pharaoh's army behind them. When the people complained that they were hungry, God sent them daily manna and quail to eat. But in the very next chapter, as soon as the people became thirsty, they started complaining again, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Isn't that amazing? After all the miracles that the people had just witnessed, Big miracles on their behalf. The moment they became thirsty and a little uncomfortable, they started to question whether God was even with them. Now you would think that they'd be saying, I can't wait to see what God's going to do next. But nope. Is the Lord among us or not? They wanted more proof. Now, contrary to what many people think, miracles do not produce faith. In fact, miracles at best have a very ambiguous relationship with our faith. In the words of William Barclay, the very faith which is dependent on signs and wonders is not faith. If faith cannot believe without sensations, then it's not really faith. It is doubt looking for proof and looking in the wrong place. Notice in the New Testament how many people witnessed Jesus' miracles and yet still refused to believe in him. So we keep thinking that our faith would be so much stronger, so much more unshakable, if we just had a little more evidence. Because then we would devote our whole selves to Jesus, wouldn't we? I mean, we would come to worship every Sunday. We would pray without ceasing. We would pledge 10% or more of our income to the church. We would commit our whole lives to participating in Christ's ministry in this world if we just had proof. Oh, sure, we have God's word in Scripture to speak to us and the 2,000-year faith of the church to stand on and, and our brothers and sisters in Christ to strengthen us and, and our own experiences of God's faithfulness in our lives. But if we just had a little more than that, you know, something so clear, so irrefutable, so certain, and all of our doubts would melt away like manna in the hot sun. 
But here's the thing. Doubt is not actually the enemy of faith. In fact, you can't really have the one without the other. In the words of Frederick Buechner, if you don't have any doubts, you are either kidding yourself or asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. See, having doubt is simply the state of believing and disbelieving at the same time. And isn't there a believer and an unbeliever in each of us? I mean, all of us have faith that is sprinkled with doubt. It's what keeps our faith real and humble. And I'm sure that many of you know people in your lives whose faith is not very humble. For they are quite certain that they're absolutely right about all of it. Frankly, those people make me very nervous. Far more nervous than atheists like Bertrand Russell. And yet, I suspect that most of us still wish we could have more certainty about our faith. But there's actually little that could be more damaging to your faith than certainty. For you see, certainty takes away your freedom to make choices. And God loves you far too much to take away your freedom to choose. Because love is always a choice. And what is faith really in the end but the choice to love God and to believe that you are God's beloved? And love can never truly be proved now it can only be given and received in faith. The truth is, we don't have proof about any of the most important things in our lives. Even though it's the most important decisions in our lives about which we'd love to have the most certainty, right? Like, like which college to go to, or which career field to enter, or which job to accept, or which city to move to, or which person to marry. But these are precisely the kinds of things about which we can never be absolutely certain. There are so many decisions in our lives that require a 100% commitment, but that do not offer a 100% guarantee. I mean, we have no guarantee that the job that we have today will be there next year, and yet we still work hard at it and budget around it. We can't even be certain that we'll be alive next year or even next week, and yet we still keep making plans for the future and putting away money for retirement. There are no guarantees that our children will grow up healthy and well-adjusted and loving and not break our hearts, and yet we keep having them Exhibit A. As the Siemens welcome daughter number four this week, Helen Carlisle. 
There are no assurances that our marriages are going to work out. In fact, according to statistics, there's a pretty good chance they won't. And yet, I keep doing weddings. Why? Because we keep making the choice to believe in these things despite our uncertainty and doubt. If you wait until all doubt is removed before making a commitment, you will never get married, never take a job, never have a child, never make a friend, never join a church, never follow Jesus. Doubt is simply an inescapable part of what it means to be a human being. If you wanted a doubt-free existence, then I hate to break it to you, but you have chosen the wrong species. And Jesus loves you far too much to take away all of your doubts. He wants you to choose to have faith in Him and to believe that you too are the beloved. It's the only way you can ever have a real relationship with Him. It's also the only way you will ever be able to fulfill your God-given mission in this world. Do you remember at the end of Matthew's Gospel when the risen Christ appears to all of his disciples on that mountain in Galilee? The text tells us that the disciples all worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, there they were, standing in the very presence of the resurrected Jesus, tangible evidence, proof of the greatest miracle of all, sufficient evidence if there ever was such a thing. And yet even that did not remove all of their doubts. Despite those doubts, however, they still chose to worship him. And after Jesus gave them the Great Commission, they went out and changed the world. When you find yourself struggling with your doubts, the solution is not to seek proof by putting God to the test. That's just trying to put the power of God on a leash. And just as God refuses to control us, for that would not be loving, God will not be controlled by us either. Rather, the only solution to your doubts is to choose to worship. For if you continue to worship, where you are encountered by the risen Savior who is among us, where you continue to be fed by the word of God by which all human beings were meant to live, and where you are reminded again and again that you are the beloved of God, 
Well, eventually, you will discover yourself beginning to doubt all of your doubts. Amen.